Welcome back, everybody, to the Ones Ready Podcast. I stole it from Peaches today. We have a guest on today, Travis Barrett, dynamichumanperformance.net guru, but more importantly, the person that turns zeros into heroes in the Sierra Pipeline. Travis, thanks for coming on with us. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, absolutely. So when we were talking to a Sierra specialist, Courtney James, she dropped your name. And she said, hey, I've got this guy that does essentially all the humor performance training for the Sierra Pipeline, and he has a wealth of knowledge. Would you be willing to have him on? And first of all, we start with yes. But second of all, we started kind of digging into to who you are and the, the accolades that you have. And we were really interested to talk to you. So, man, thanks for coming on. Kind of tell us about your background. Uh, yeah. So I got started with humor performance back at Ball State University, studying under Coach Jason Roberson. Um, started with him back in 2007. Graduated Ball State um, 2010 uh, with an undergrad in exercise science. And then uh, decided to apply to graduate school. So I uh, went to graduate school, got my master's in applied sports science. Um, internships along the way with uh, Coach Sean Wendell, who was with the Pacers for a long time. Um, then I interned with Coach Kevin Schultz, who was at University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. And now he's at UW-Madison as the director of Olympic sports. And um, yeah, then, you know, got into collegiate strength conditioning as my first my first gig. and then. That transitioned into the private sector. And then, you know, 2017 rolled around, or excuse me, uh, yeah, 2020 rolled around and I got, just got lucky and, uh, you know, got the position at Fairchild. So I've been there since 2020. Did you live in the area? Like, how were you connected to the Air Force Base? No, uh, not at all. Um, so nice. I was living in uh, Lawrence, Kansas. So Rock shot in- Jayhawk. Get it. Let's go. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's a fucking cult there. It's, it's 100%. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, it's, it was good. Lawrence is an awesome town. Um, really smart, um, scientist lives there named Dr. Andy Fry. So I was able to, uh, you know, get some insight from him, visit his lab a couple of times, uh, learn some things that his, him and his lab were doing. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I applied for a bunch of, uh, positions on usajobs.gov and just got lucky and, uh, was interviewed, interviewed by his captain, uh, Jimenez at the time. Now he's major and he's the HPO director, I think, out at the RQS out in Moody, I believe. I think it's the 38th RQS. You're right. You crushed All right. it. All right. There's so many numbers. I don't yeah. yeah, there are a lot of numbers. Ex- exactly. Yeah, if you just yeah. say something that ends in an eight or it starts with the two, you're going to be good across about 90% of yeah. what we do. So it's like the two series <laughs> or the eights, 38, 48, 58, RIP 58, you go. But, oh. Uh, oh. you know, Oh, it hurts. Still hurts. <laughs> See you later. It's my alma mater. Um, so did you have any real experience with the Air Force or, or with this type of training before it before you started applying or was it all strength and conditioning, physiology, exercise science? Yeah. So, uh, you know, previous business that I co-owned was called Evolution Athletics and it's still alive and kicking and crushing it in uh, Lawrence, Kansas. And myself and my business partner, um, we were working with uh, police uh, academy cadets. So, um, we've done that for about three or four years, um, in addition to working with high school, professional, middle school kids. And um, anyway, that was the only prior experience I had. So when I got up here to Spokane, it was, you know, I wanted to just observe and see how things rolled for a while. I didn't want to be one of those people who comes in and says like, hey, it needs to be this way, this way, this way. I don't believe that's how coaching works. I believe coaching is building relationships and then begin implementing yourself slowly, gradually over time and asking, you know, well, what are you having trouble with? What are you having pain with? What can we work on? 
And that's really what I did. I mean, for the first, you know, two to three months I was there, I didn't really say much other than just observe and get to know people. And then slowly over time, you know, I helped one guy and that led into somebody telling their buddy and somebody telling their friend and just going from there. But yeah. Well, you, you obviously, cause you went to USA job and you went to go apply for that job, but like, what was that draw for you? Why did you go, okay, I want to do, I want to do the military or I want to, you know, be involved with the military. What was that? Because a lot of, and, and just the reason why I'm, I'm asking that is because you have like, um, there were prior strength coaches that we had at, at some of the two series, like two, three, he was a, I think he coached at Oregon or something like that. And, and he was talking about like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm amazed. I'm around all these amazing football players that if are God given talents and stuff like that, but he, it was a struggle to get them into the gym mm-hmm. because I would have to fight with them. And then I'd have to fight with the head coaches too, because they wouldn't allow me to make them back squat over, over 300 or, or something like that, because they were so worried about hurting the athletes. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of them would just kind of, yeah, whatever, dude, I'm, I'm going to catch the ball. I'm going to be able to throw the ball. I'll be able to tackle. It's not a big deal. Whereas once he got to the unit, he couldn't keep us out of there. We were always in the gym. If we could spend all day in there, it was trying to force us to take recovery days. Mm -hmm. We had Chuck get shot. I think it was an in and out in like two different places, or maybe he got shot twice. I don't remember what exactly it was, but I mean, he was in the gym two weeks later getting it. And Tyler's like, look, dude, you need to chill out because (laughs) like you got to recover, you got to heal and you couldn't keep Chuck out of the gym. And that was kind of the trend for all of us. So that's what drew drew him. So I'm wondering what, what got you going? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, even as an undergrad, I wanted to work with the best populace possible, you know, but the thing with collegiate strength conditioning is that, you know, you work, it's not uncommon to work 12, 14, 16 hours a day. And then, you know, you have no family life. Um, so that wasn't a place I wanted to be. Um, number one, number two, I was shocked when I started talking with folks that the number of injuries they have, especially military, the number of injuries they have and the amount of pain that they think is just quote normal. And they're just walking (laughs) around with that. And I'm like, like, dude, like, like I met a guy like the first couple months I was there, I think he was 24 and he had already had a hip replacement. Oh, tight. And I was like, dude, like, and then there was another guy who shattered his ankle on a jump. And I was like, oh, shit, I've been here not even six months. And this is the kind of stuff I'm getting into. Great. So honestly, it's it's like I, I don't want to see people hurt. And I don't want to see people miserable. And I think their lives can get better. Um, but they just need to be provided with knowledge and know-how. And it's a double-edged sword of like on one hand, yes, you have the guys who just go, 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 which is a great quality to have. I would rather have that than what your buddy at Oregon experienced because Basically, that's like pulling back the reins a little bit and saying, I call it dread, you know, don't redline every day of, (laughs) um, I appreciate the quality and I appreciate where they're coming from, but they have to allow for some area of recovery, um, versus, you know, I'll, I'll probably somehow, somebody will reach out and give me some hate mail for this, but. Oh, you better believe it. All right, here we go. So (laughs) it's, it's built in. We have a whole inbox for that. (laughs) So (laughs) this one. I, I believe at the highest level of collegiate sport and uh, you could argue professional sport to a degree, it's not that challenging from a strength and conditioning standpoint because you have freak show athletes who are going to perform. 
So it doesn't really matter too much what you do with them because they can still go out and do their thing on the field. And I know there's people who are going to argue that, but I, I argue that there are, the bigger challenge comes from D3 athletes or a high school athlete or a junior high athlete. If you're really good, you can develop a junior high and high school kid a lot because they're, they're more willing to do the things you ask them to do. They're not going to argue with you as much. Um, and you know, they understand the long-term big picture. Uh, so that that's just my, my opinion on it. No, I, I mean, they're a clean slate, right? Yeah. Sorry, Aaron, go for it. Yeah, no, I was just going to, you know, it's the difference between skill and talent. You have somebody that's so talented at the highest level, you know, they're a top 1% athlete newsflash. That's not who we're bringing into the SEER pipeline. That's not who we're bringing into the air force. We have people that have a desire to do something and they, they may not necessarily be physically talented, but you want to give them that skill. Skill is developed, you know, famously said by Will Smith by hours and hours and hours of beating on your craft. And that's where you're living your space. You're taking these, these folks that aren't necessarily athletic, especially people that are attracted to the SEER pipeline or the SEER career field, you know, being a SEER specialist, they're newsflash, they're not all physical freaks. They're people that have a desire that they want to serve first and foremost. They want to serve in the Air Force secondarily. And then as a tertiary, because that's really the level that they get to, they want to be an instructor and somebody that helps, you know, get them there. So you have those those mid-level or sometimes not athletic people at all. We we make the joke all the time. You want to you want to uh, really see who's an athlete in an STE team room? Go ahead and put a ball in there, <laughs> and then see who can dribble a basketball. Because All you got to do is throw throw a football or throw, throw a basketball a in there. Go. Yeah, see what happens. Because I'll tell you what, you're going to see a lot of people that are good at running in straight lines and doing pull ups, and not a lot of people that can throw a ball. Um, what you know, looking <laughs> at that uh, those those kind of like uh, populations of athletes, right? Because you you cut your teeth with with physical specimens and, and high level athletes, um, in athletics, and then kind of moved into that first responder working with the Academy and then finally moving into, you know, the aspect war space and, and working with SEER, there had to be some similarities between those three. What are your baseline similarities that you saw between all those populations? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, as far as the similarities go, I mean, uh, <laughs> yes, got, <laughs> got him. Um, yeah, I'd say, the, the similarities amongst all of them is they do want to improve. They just don't know how to go about it. Um, you know, as far as like naming off, like it, it depends on the level. And I just do an intake with people like very informal, like, hey, let's sit down. You tell me what you're doing right now. And then I look at the lowest hanging fruit. Like what's the easiest thing to change right now that will yield some uh, progress. So you take you take an elite athlete, like an NBA player, for example, you take an NBA player who has is a genetic freak that let's assume he already lifts and does the things he's supposed to do, but he eats like shit. Okay, great. Like that's not uncommon. You know, like uh, Roy Hibbert was with the Pacers when I was there and Roy would eat like, I don't It was terrible. I can't even remember all of it, but it was like fried foods from some local shithole of a restaurant and you're like Dude. doesn't that make you so mad you see yeah. this ferrari and he's putting in just bullshit gas and you like i have to if i don't eat perfect first of all my little tummy gets upset now <laughs> because i'm older if i don't eat perfectly drink enough water get enough sleep i'm garbage the next day and these guys will just eat like i, I think it's james harden that is notorious for just eating like all candy like the yeah. guy eats like sour patch kids all the time and he 
like he's a world class athlete getting paid millions a year, or, yeah. and he's just like yeah. Or who was a uh, Chad Ochocinco didn't like to drink water. He was famously quoted like on the sideline one time. He's like, "No, I don't like to drink water. It, it sloshes around in my stomach." And even his teammates were like, "You don't drink water, bro?" He's like, "Nah, not for me." Yeah, it's it real. It's frustrating because <laughs> this is all I have <laughs> genetic. I wasn't blessed, you know what I mean? And this is like, "Fuck you guys!" <laughs> this is yeah. all I got, man. Uh, this is me making the right decisions day in and day out. Uh, right. So yeah, can you imagine the wrong decisions? I'd be spilling over. <laughs> Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I would start with that. Like the nutrition piece would be one where it, Hey, Roy, maybe eat a piece of fruit and drink a little bit of water and see if you don't feel better and recover better, but maybe you move on down the line. So that might be his performance, uh, metric that we need to look at in increasing. Right. Um, with another populace, it might be, Hey, you're wasting your time doing a bunch of curls and tricep press downs, maybe more productive use of your time would be chin-ups and push-ups and then you'll still get big arms you'll be fine and then maybe another population it might be um you know doing rehabilitation exercises for example it's not the most sexy thing in the world but it's what you need so all of them have that under underlying desire to get better they just need to know well what what do i need to do so it comes down to education in that regard as far as i'm concerned got it so you get to this, you know, to the SEER school up in Spokane, you start kind of orienting yourself to the military space and figuring out how to ingrate, like actually just live in the culture, which I'm sure was a shock to you. Uh, you know, I'm sure you looked at some things. You're like, why are these guys sewing all the time? Why are they stealing each other's guidons? Like, why do the PJs worship a little idol thing? That seems weird. Um, as you as you immerse yourself into into the culture and you start getting your feet underneath you, I'm sure that you started noticing some things that the students were doing that were not helping them out. Like when you, and you had to like get them to think, Hey, I want you to focus on durability and not, not redlining every day. So you don't dread, uh, you don't need to do CrossFit exercises until you puke two times a day in order to be fit. What were some of those first warning signals you saw where you're like, Oh, hold on. I think we can train smarter. Oh man. I, uh, I actually, so I told you, I, I basically shut up for like two months. Um, I carried around a little black notepad. And I, like that thing is filled out with stuff I saw that I was like, holy shit, we need to, we need to work on this. Nice. So when that conversation, you know, I, I finally sat down with Cadre and I was like, all right, this next class, are you guys good? If I take, um, take them two days a week, you guys get the other three. And then that gradually became, as I earned that trust into that two turned into three, turned into four, turned into now it's pretty spotty when the Cadre are running things, which is, is fine. We have, pretty good relationships as far as that goes. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, that's the way I kind of worked it, but we started with, Hey, let's learn perfect technique and patterning. We don't even need to worry about load on the bar. We need to see, can you perform the movements that are fundamental human movements, such as squatting, deadlifting, vertical pushing, vertical pulling, horizontal pushing, which we don't do because they're already getting smoked all the time for different shit. And they're doing 500 pushups a day. Um, we'll do a ton of horizontal pulling and carrying. So basically we'll take those fundamental movement patterns and we'll split it up amongst the week. And as long as they do that, they're in a good place. And a ton of them have really, really weak posterior chains. I mean, that's been my experience regardless of, you know, if it's TACP, CCT, STS, whatever, they all have weak posterior chains. So then you look at, well, why the hell is that going on? 
Well, likely they've got a heavy ass ruck on their back. They're being flexed forward with their, their upper body. So then the front side shortening, the backside's lengthening. They're really weak due to that because they just have to do the job, you know? Um, so pretty much I go in and strengthen the posterior chains on folks, help them move better. And then they feel better so I can keep people out of the physical therapist's office. And then they can train harder, recover more and all that stuff. So that's really the the gist of everything as far as the basic outline mechanics of it. And that, so you're, so that, oh, so you're saying push, pull, hinge, yep. squat, carry, and it's really not yep. that hard? Yep, pretty much. So you would be amazed because people make the mistake. I think as Yuri Verchansky said, uh, you know, tired, you know, anybody can make someone tired. It's not, not the most challenging thing in the world to make somebody tired. But just because you're tired doesn't mean it was effective, right? Like if we're chasing a specific adaptation, you know, I'll, I'll introduce the most fundamental stress model ever, which I'm sure you guys have seen is from 1936 from Hans Selye of like, you know, you have a stressor, it causes an alarm, and then you go home and rest. And then that's the response and you have an adaptation. Well, you know, I'll draw this model up there for every class, every person I talk to of, you know, basically if you stress appropriately and you rest, then you get better. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. And then if you, but what the military does all the time is they go, well, if a little is good, more must be better. Right. <laughs> so that pushes them into negative adaptation because they never allow for adequate recovery. So then once we get the patterns down and the movements and the, the template, then we can start playing with stuff like, okay, well, let's, let's introduce like prehab rehab exercises. Let's talk about breathing mechanics because we'll do 10 to 15 minutes of Wim Hof style breathing with the lights turned off. Like, and I got some weird ass looks when I first got there and I was turning the lights off, having these dudes lay down and breathe and shit, but I'm here for it. Let's go. You know, baby. Sounds like my kind of training session. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like the big thing is from a neural standpoint, if you think about how tuned up guys are all the time where they're, they're stressed to the absolute max, their eyes are popped out of their head. They know they have eyes on them. They don't know who's who walking around. Um, you know, that's stressful, but a lot of times, no, they've never had anybody have the conversation with them about, hey, let's focus on how to bring that down. Let's focus on how to manage that. So even the music is orchestrated in our weight room. And as far as when we're lifting heavy, we're going to turn on Metallica and ACDC and gangster rap and all that stuff. But when the session ends, we're going to turn on Incubus, bring everything down, try to slow things down. So all of it's coordinated and implemented well as far as, you know, Here's what we're trying to accomplish. We want to stress for a controlled time and then we want to rest. So, I mean, that's that, that's right along that whole zone two kind of thing is instead yep. of spending 90% of your time just absolutely crushing yourself, spend 90% of your time doing zone two and the other 10% is where you really just push it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We did some I, intervals. I don't know if that 90% is right or not. I'm just. Like, no. I'm just throwing numbers out there. Yeah, baby. I'm just, just throwing numbers. Nobody Correct me. Nobody. Um, no, but I mean, you're, you're correct as far as, because I, I did some intervals the other day with the, uh, with the fire department, the fire academy. And we had 18 students and they were on 20 seconds of all out work, 10 seconds of rest. And it was nonstop. But when we were done, I said, hey, by the way, we've only worked for six total minutes of work. Mm -hmm. And you're but done. Six minutes sucked. So, the same thing, like, I, I think you're correct is it's, you know, work your ass off, but then also be, be able and know how to bring it down and rest. But. Tabata is such a, 
it, 20 seconds on 10 seconds off it's such just you're like yeah well it's 20 seconds like wh- whatever well i tell you what by by round for me if i'm doing like a salt bike calories i was gonna Tabata, say get on get, get on that mm. echo bike get on that echo bike tell me yeah. how long 20 seconds is you know what if i only have like two hours left to live i want to spend it doing tabata on the assault bike because that's going to be the <laughs> longest two hours that i've ever experienced <laughs> that's pretty so, good. Bad. so bad there's, there's <laughs> one that we do i mean like there's there's some cadre that have come up with <clears throat> way way more heinous stuff than i could ever dream up but um the one thing that we'll do with the the students is we'll do uh called winter gets out. So we'll just take all these assault bikes and line them up in a circle. And it allows us to kind of do a couple things. Ensure number one, ensure that everybody's working hard. But number two, expose the gray men. You know, if you've got a guy who's like never wins anything, but he suddenly wins at this. So what it is we turn it on for 10 seconds and oh, we go the absolute mental games you're playing right here. I love it. Oh man. So like you'll have guys where, you know, like you guys mentioned, like the athletic uh, differences I see in the SEER community, you know, like there are some guys who are freak shows. We've had professional athletes come through that play in the NFL. And then, you know, we have as young as 17 is what I've seen. And then we have, I think right now we've got a guy who's like 41. So there's this huge range of like biological age, training age, all this stuff. But there are some freak shows that walk around there that are amazing athletes so this winner gets out thing we'll go 10 seconds on the person with the highest wattage gets out of the game so then everybody else stays in so now it's well i just shot everything i had at this now what do i do you know how do i when do i go but and that's (laughs) that sounds pretty bad i'm glad i'm not part of that (laughs) <laughs> but I'll. But if I'm invited, I'll definitely dive in. Yeah, exactly. And, I won't and I tell do you well, what, I'm, but... I'm gonna be. I'm not going to do well if the winner gets out, especially if it's a salt bike. That is a tall person's movement. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I just there's only so far I can power through those reaches. But a salt bike in the rower. You, no. I just you were just like a little pissed and like ding, 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 yeah. on the rower. Like let's yeah. find something else, homie. <laughs> well, I feel bad for the guys on the ca- you know like the tall dudes on the cows. Like oh yeah. When they're doing pull-ups and push-ups, yeah. it's always like, fuck this. And then... Yeah, I've got three up, inches to move. That's yeah. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> like a little leverage. Just... Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, real quick, just because you, you mentioned it, the, the posterior chain and, and how... So, are you... The folks that are coming in, the, the kind of new folks, are you seeing that they are weaker, have a weaker posterior chain? And if so, um, like, what are what are some ways that they can help, you know, rectify that? Although I know that we, you know, we're working with developers and, and that kind of stuff. So they are helping with that. But for the folks that maybe don't get to see a developer or haven't gotten the chance to, like, what are some movements that they can do to help kind of strengthen that posterior chain? Yeah. So when I refer to posterior chain, essentially, if you cut your body in half, you have the front side, which is anterior and the back side, which is posterior. So almost across the board, rather, somebody's just coming in. There are very few people I've seen who come in like, very well developed. I mean, there's, there's a handful that definitely know what the hell they're doing. They got lucky and had good coaches, good training and all that stuff. And they've been doing it for years, but for everybody else, uh, the posterior chain that we, we focus on is, you know, number one hip extension. So those are going to be things like RDLs, good mornings, deadlifts, sumo deadlifts, things like that. Um, and then number two is going to be knee flexion. So that'll be things like, uh, seated leg curls with a band, 
prone leg curls. Um, and then third tool that we have and then we're, well, we have two more actually. Uh, we have a reverse hyper. Uh, everybody should be using a reverse hyper in some capacity. And then we have another great tool called an inverse curl, which is a Nordic curl, but it, it adds a range of motion and it also allows you to quantify uh, the weight that's on there that's assisting you. So those are the big ones that we work off of. We also, you know, have a like a Sornex leg curl machine and, or excuse me, Sornex leg curl where we do hip extension plus knee flexion at the same time. And then we'll do the same thing with valve slides. And then we'll use some glute ham raises. But, I mean, those are our big heavy hitters. If we're doing those, guys are getting stronger. Knees are feeling more stable. Uh, their backs actually feel better. A lot of people are freaked out to train their back, but it's just that they don't know how to. And they've been scared. Well, and if you, ha- if you do have a, a, you know, a, a weaker back, it doesn't feel stable. Like, it, it, you know, you, you kind of feel that. And it's, it, it can be a little bit touch and go, if you will. Well, Speaking as a guy, anytime anybody says that on the internet, I immediately stop listening to what they say. Well, as a, as a, ooh, whatever, but as a dude with a serious back injury, it's a, it's the worst negative feedback cycle ever, right? Like yeah. you don't want to train your posterior chain and your hamstrings because your back gets sore for a couple of days afterwards. Well, then you don't do that. And then your back is sore all the time because you're not strengthening your back or actually like flexing through your back. Like, you know, watching, you know, um, Taylor Starch talk about, flexion in the spine and, and having some of these other, you know, you, you look at the exercises he's doing and you're like, Boy, bro, that looks crazy. And he's like, yeah, do it for two yeah. weeks and your back will never hurt again. And then lo and behold, you do it. And then my back doesn't hurt. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm rolling better. I'm feeling better. I'm walking around better. It's almost like you guys are smart. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know, like it's a lot of it is motion is lotion, you know, like you have to yeah. move in order to facilitate blood flow and bring in, because if the area is warm, then you vasodilate, brings in more blood. Blood's the ultimate healer. Um, but then I I was bitching about this the other day as far as I hate when people create like scare tactics for people because then they try to drive traffic to themselves saying, well, I am the smartest person ever. You can only come to me and figure this out. It's not that complex. It's, it really is like, hey, we're meant every joint in your body flexes and extends. And it should be able to. Now, whether or not it's under load, whether or not you know how to brace is a whole different deal. But I think of, you know, what about people that are in, that work over in Asia in, in a rice paddy, right? Like, I, they're probably in some flexion of some kind. What about MMA fighters who, I don't know if you've ever watched an MMA fight where they're down and fully flexed. Oh, yeah, then they pick a dude up and slam what you know, and the list goes on and on and on of example after example. And then you look at, you know, Eastern Bloc countries where they specifically train round back deadlifts and like, they do it on elevation and they're doing it with like four to 500 pounds. Well, and now yeah. everybody's doing Zercher squats, right? Like you see it yeah. all over. Everybody's like, all of a sudden you're like, you see this, this hunched over back of holding this huge barbell. And, you know, even 10 years ago, you would see that. And somebody on the internet would be like, oh, look at this idiot. He doesn't know what he's, look at this dude always flexing his back. This guy's only going to be okay for another two days. And now it's like, you, you see people like Zercher squatting 405. And people oh. are like, oh yeah, look how healthy that guy is. Yeah, it is. It is entirely like the scare tactics and. There's always the nerds behind the computer screens that have never touched a weight in their life. And it's like, <laughs> dude, this guy. So we have, we have a seer guy the other day. I, I reposted the, the story. Um, this guy deadlifted 700 pounds. All right. And then he's all right. You know, decent. 
And then, then he deadlifted 730 pounds following that, but it wasn't like a clean 730. So, and then, by the way, there's another guy down at uh, Special Warfare, uh, Justin Clifford. That, that guy's a physical therapist. He competes in the Highland Games. I've watched him deadlift like, I don't know, he picks up like a thousand pounds, like five or 600 pounds in each hand, something crazy. But there's these monsters walking around that you're like, actual, you know, there's somebody sitting behind the screen. They're like, actually, you were like, not in perfect position. It's like, no shit. I know that. But, <laughs> I'm pulling like, a thousand pounds off yeah, the ground right now. You know, and you look at these guys and it's not like they're doing it every day. And here's the kicker is that's not what they started with. You know, like they started with an empty bar and then over time, just progressive overload. The father of all strength conditioning is progressive overload. Yeah. So I get a kick out of it, man. I see these people that are like, same thing, you know, like, well, that guy's going to be dead in a couple of days. Like it's, we're not fragile. We're, we're not fragile human being, you know, like we act yeah. or not. Those same weightlifting specialists, they, so far they've been, let's see, pandemic specialist and uh, foreign war specialists. And now they're specialists on the Middle East. And then they were specialists in between on, you know, you know, geopolitical interactions there. We got a lot of specialists out there. We attract a lot of them. They were probably briefing you guys at one point, you know? Oh yeah. No, we've, we have definitely gotten some DMS where people have told us how wrong we were about things that are specifically in our lane, which was nice. You know, I, I always appreciate that feedback. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't want to, I don't want to skim past it because I, you had mentioned age earlier and you had somebody who's, who's 41 going through there right now. So I, it's kind of a, a, two two prong question is one would like what would be some advice for some of the older folks that are training uh coming in and the other one is like versus the older young versus old like how are you training them differently than you do you know older folks yeah it might be a little more volume for the younger guys um because they don't have the repetitions or the time time in yet um and then for the older guys, it might be a little less volume, but we're going to we're gonna push those few sets pretty hard. But overall, you're not going to do as much as the younger guys. And the older guys might need more soft tissue work. Um, they might need to do extra, you know, body tempering or foam rolling or Normatex or whatever other toys you guys have seen before. I mean, we have them up there. Um, so they might need to pop in with a physical therapist a little more frequently in order to stay healthy. Basically, I guess to answer your question in short would just be that they have to be a little more proactive and they have to actually pay attention to their nutrition a little bit more, uh, their sleep. You know, I mean, there's, there's young guys where I know for a fact they've come in hungover and they can still put out. And it's like, that's not the smartest thing in the world, but I really can't say anything to you because you're crushing it. So, and then the older guys, I mean, if they try, <laughs> if they try to do that, they're going to be like, Oh, fuck, I feel like shit for two or three days, you know? Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of the biggest thing is just being more caught, not cautious, but being more careful with volume. And then when you do have those meaningful sets, you're, you're pushing those sets heavy and you're not, you're not backing off. You're just limiting the overall volume. Sure. Now see everybody, see how quick that answer was. Travis, you'd be shocked how many times, I mean, I don't know, five times a week we get the question, Hey, I'm 27 i'm 31 i'm 35 i'm 38 am i too old what should i do it's not that hard y'all mm-hmm. J- travis just told you so i'd like to say stop asking peaches and i know you're not going to stop asking so we're just going to go on with life so i want to hit some seer specific stuff <laughs> what's up 
I was just going to say, like, everybody wants, like, a straight, perfect answer all the time. Yeah, not... like, dude, just keep lo- keep a log. And, like, just as you write down, like, hey, this was a little too much, a little too easy. And then adjust. It's trial by fire. But, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. But... No, you're that's exactly the reason we have you there is to get me to stop talking because I'm the least favorite person on this podcast. I want to talk some seer specific stuff. So we have a bunch of prospective seer candidates that are out there. We know that there are main food groups that you should be training. So we get, we brought the, the SWIC folks on. They put out a great pre-accession uh, BMT workout program that leads you up to that IFT range. And it works great for SEER, EOD, and the aspect work career fields. We've had the, the SWIC coaches on to lead you through the development you know, program. We're going to uh, get a couple of developers on. So we're excited about that. But if you were going to give advice to candidates, SEER specific, what are some things that you would put out, even easy stuff, like something that the SWIC coaches put out for us is, you know, just spending time on feet. They're seeing a lot of the candidates that are coming in just don't really spend that much time on their feet comparatively to generation tasks. So if you had to lay out some basic food groups for how a SEER candidate would train, you know, from the development program all the way in, what are some little golden nuggets you'd throw in there? Yeah, I mean, the big, the nice part is I've got, uh, there's two uh, T3I coaches that are with me at, at uh, Fairchild. So that makes, they help a ton, you know? So if you're wanting to talk to some developers, you know, they would be some guys to get in touch with. Um, Heck yeah, send it. But uh, yeah, so we've got, we're in the process of trying to get some developers down in Texas right now for when they do finish up. If there is a gap between BMT and when they go through uh, the selection course, you know, there would be a developer there. And then once they develop, or excuse me, once they graduate um, Sierra down at stock, then it would be, uh, hey, there's a developer with you if there's a gap time before you get up to Fairchild. But in general, I would say a lot of it is going to be make sure you're pushing your capacity. So, and what I mean by that, I know that's super general, but um, it's going to be one of those things of your your zone two stuff better be, it better not just be this big. It better be pushed high. So at a bare minimum for like general health purposes, we're looking at zone two of like 150 minutes a week. So if you're trying to get into this course and you're trying to do well, it better be, better be well above that. So, um, and then same thing with, you know, zone five, you know, like their, their ability to do repeat intervals better be high as well. So just getting out on a track and doing their running, practicing their skill specific as far as rucking goes is going to be huge. Um, those are going to be the big ones because we don't, we have a swim that they have to pass, but it's not a huge part of what we do. So I don't even, I don't deal with the swim because I don't know anything about swimming. So I just <laughs> I hand it off to somebody who's smarter than me and say, Hey, you guys take care of the swimming. Um, but yeah, I would say confidence in the water, um, the rucking, and then their ability to go for a long time. So. Okay. Um, so, and then rucking specific, uh, you know, we're focusing more from what I, from what I'm hearing is we're focusing more on the amount of time that you can spend doing that. You're not going to go super fast. So what's a good ruck progression in your opinion? That is a great question for the developers. (laughs) So I don't want to be one of those people who pretends to know what the hell I'm talking about there and give you wrong information. Um, but what I've noticed is you know, our guys work with a ruck that is, uh, I think the heaviest might be around 70 pounds. So even that might be pushing it. So as far as the progression of that, I mean, it would be something just logical to me where you'd say, Hey, 
go out for 30 minutes empty and go up and down a hill. All right, great. You do that for 30 minutes. Now add 10% of your body weight to a rucksack. And then just continuing to consistently do that over time. Because I will tell you that the place where a lot of folks end up in trouble is they try to <laughs> they try to cram everything in and there's nothing you can do to accelerate physiology. So if you're trying to like cram for a test and you're like, no, I'll be fine. I'll just consolidate all this stuff that's supposed to take six months into three weeks. <laughs> then you're going to end up with like stress fractures and your feet are going to be a disaster. And then you're going to get rolled back and once for sure. Um, but that would be the biggest thing is just allow adequate time for the progression and the development of that. I resent okay. that. You're attacking me. Are you triggered right now? <laughs> I'm not training right now. Well, I mean, I'm always training, but uh, yeah, I'm, there's definitely a, okay, well, what's my timeline here? When can I, when do I know kid need to start? And that's, so that's part of it. Right. And, and I know the, the T3I developers are, um, the experts on, on that kind of stuff, but you know, I've had a ruck on once or twice in my life and, uh, I would, I would, I think that's good. And I, I kind of equate it to the zone two. If you go out there and you crush yourself with a hundred pound ruck or a 70 pound ruck right off the bat and you just keep doing it, you're just going to crush yourself. Hmm. So yeah, absolutely. Walking up some hills, you know. I, I would I would probably stay at forty five pounds, no more than that, except for maybe once or twice before going to the pipeline. Then I'd go up to sixty five pounds. But I would not go above forty five pounds. And you know, say I have three months, say I have six months. Well then that depends on how many times a month I go out for a run. But I'm not going out and crushing myself. It's just like going out for a run. You know, it, it equates, I think, to to the zone two. Because if I expend all my stuff, all my, you know, whatever inside my body that's getting me going, and then I end up being sore for two days, three days afterwards, those are days that I'm probably not training as effectively as I could be. So don't just freaking go blow your wad, like right off the bat. You know what I mean? Yep. I think that's very well said because that's, that's a conversation I have with guys all the time in terms of intensity is if you go so hard today that you're fucked for the rest of the week. Now we're, now we're removing training sessions and those are, you know, if we're 1% or one degree off course, you know, going from that book, the compound effect where he talks about flying from LA to Maine, if we're one degree off course, you're not going to notice until the last 500 miles and then you're going to be way off. So the same thing with training sessions, with those training sessions, if you miss one or two, you know, due to just life, that's okay. That's not a big deal. But if you're missing two, three, four consistently. Now that that's not going to show up till later and you're way off and you have to allow time for the body to adapt because it's not as simple as just the muscle. The muscle adapts relatively quickly, but then the ligament, the tendon, the bone, the neural development, all that stuff takes a while for that architecture to get laid down. Um, and I made the mistake personally of agreeing to go out on a ruck with these guys. And I think it was like, I had like 15-ish pounds in and I wore some boots that didn't fit very well. And I went like nine miles. And I'm tail old as time. Good job, bud. How'd that feel? I had ever done prior to that was like two miles. Right. <laughs> Good. Fuck yeah. That. That, I was so sore. Like right. my knees hurt, my shins hurt. You was know, it like, even was it flat or was it oh god, you know, hill? Yeah, of course not. So I mean now Perfect. now you're it's not even like going out on a controlled environment where it's a, a track or a road. Right. Like yeah, you you definitely set yourself up for success there. Yeah, good job, <laughs> idiot. <laughs> yeah, I know. But 
Yeah. I, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. The, well, the worst part had to be hearing your own words in your head as you're sore yeah. the next day. You're just like, oh, my, I know better than this. And here I am. It's like this is like the third time I've, I've made the mistake of agreeing to go do something with these guys. Like <laughs> once I went out snowshoeing with them and I was I was snowshoeing. And again, like very little weight in my my bag. And I just told the dude who's with me, he's being so nice. He's like, no, I'll hang with you. I'm like, dude. <laughs> I can tell you're miserable. Just fucking go. I'll scream and shout if I get stuck. And I was out there. I like fell over, tripped over my snowshoes and all that stuff. And that I'll never snowshoe again. <laughs> like screw <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, it, it really is like the practicing, the specificity of the movement. And then once you have the specificity and practice in of the movements, then you can begin to add the work capacity. And finally will be the load. But a lot of guys, especially fuck this up where they just like, I want to see how much I can put in my rucksack or I want to see how much weight I can put on the bar. And that doesn't allow you time for the repetitions necessary to get good at whatever it is you're practicing. Well, that's uh, one of the, that's one of the downfalls of social media, right? It's cool yeah. to see, like I, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. I enjoy seeing feats of strength and in, in the, the human, the capability of humans and stuff like that. And that's what draws views. That's what draws clicks and all that kind of stuff. But nobody sees the failures nobody sees the train up nobody sees the empty bar like you talked about uh you know it all they're seeing is the end result and, it, and yeah. it's badass but man they're not training like that constantly right it's and, the go ahead no no, no i was gonna i have a follow-up question but go for it but yeah it's it's the overnight success stuff that everybody believes is happening and it's it's not like even the guy i mentioned earlier who deadlifted 700 pounds last week him and i were having lunch together last week and he was telling me about as a kid his dad was a tree trimmer and landscaper so his he would help his dad carry around these big rounds uh big wood rounds after his dad cut them down he was doing that at 10 12 14 16 18 years old and it was that stuff that nobody saw that's the work capacity stuff the guy's spinal erectors are freaking massive like He's a large human being to begin with. And he runs a, like a six minute mile. Disgusting. And he's, he's a good person. And it's like, they, you, right, oh, what a terrible. Oh, he's a nice guy too. Yeah, I hate him. Like, this Thanos level <laughs> villain. I've had it with this like, guy. Is there anything you're not good at? Like, this is annoying. You know? Right. Like, um, typical Mark Bedell. Typical. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly who I had in my head too, is Mark. But yeah, what was your, what was your question before I went off? I, I just, it, and this is really for my own clarification is when you started talking about, uh, extending your zone to, or do you mean actual in terms of movements? Okay. Do zone two movements in terms of, you know, whether it's running, swimming, stairmaster, you know, whatever, or do you mean like actual minutes, minutes, you know, instead of doing just 60 minutes of zone two, you knew you expand to 120, you know, 300 minutes and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a good question. So there's, uh, basically what I, the the guy, as far as conditioning is concerned, that I would refer everybody to is a guy named Joel Jameson. And I haven't met him yet, but he's he's in Washington somewhere. Um, but anyway, he has a phenomenal book diving into the different methods and types of conditioning available. So a lot of people get so caught up in thinking that they have to do a specific modality for conditioning. Well, in reality, the heart and lungs don't know the difference. They just know, hey, I need to work harder in order to meet the requirement. So it doesn't matter 
And in fact, I would argue that you're probably making yourself worse if you're doing the exact same modality over time because the body becomes more efficient. So then if the body is becoming more efficient, it doesn't have to use as many motor units to accomplish the task. So I think mixing it up as much as you possibly can while still staying within that zone is good. Now, you obviously have to use some sense here and say like, well, if I'm doing non-weight bearing exercise, such as swimming, that has a trade-off and some implications associated with that, such as I'm not having my bone impact. But if if you're a guy who like has years of like, hey, I've done plenty of impactful stuff, my bones are fine, cool, you're good in the in the pool or whatever. But somebody who like has never weight trained before or never done impactful things, they would need to make sure to do some impactful things so that their bone receives benefit. Um, but yeah, I think doing the widest variety of exercises possible makes you a better overall athlete. And that is going to force your body to coordinate both as a system and with the muscles specifically uh, nearby to accomplish the task. Well, with... So because, not, you know, we have folks that live, you know, our, our demographics, 15 to 35 people that want to become aspect war, seer, the whole range, right? But we have people around the U.S. that are, you know, some are in L.A., New York, Vegas, whatever, that have easy access to pools, have easy access to gyms and that kind of stuff. But then you also have folks in rural parts that, you know, they're they're four hours from the nearest pool or or, or whatever. So, and I, and I know you're not a, a swim coach, but like, what are some, some regimes or some, some things that they can kind of get after when they don't have, you know, a reverse hyper and, and that kind of stuff to, to try and get themselves ready, what, ready or just healthier. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's a matter of being creative and looking around at what you got. So if you're a farm boy living in Nebraska, great. That's, there's a reason why football teams go to Nebraska to recruit, uh, you know, linemen, because those, those dudes throw hay all day and they carry buckets of water and they, they do all that stuff. So being resourceful with what you have. Um, I mean, there's other guys on the East Coast that I've talked to that are like from Connecticut and Delaware, and it's cold and miserable out there. So they know, depending on which pipeline they're wanting to go through, it's going to be cold, and miserable. So I better get acclimated right now to this area. So they're going to go do their training outside because in order to get prepared for it. Whereas some guys, some guys we've had that are from the city of Miami, right? Like they, they're in Miami. They're like, weather's nice. They get up here and they're like, oh my God, it's cold as shit. <laughs> Imagine going milk. from Miami to Spokane on purpose. Ooh. Oh man, you chose that. But you know, there's, there's some guys who will, uh, they need to acclimate themselves to the stress. So, I mean, when you look at it and you see like, all right, well, stateside we have the luxury of having things being nice and calibrated we have the luxury of temperature controlled environments whereas you look at every other aspect of the world every other part of the world where they're they don't have that they don't have temperature controlled stuff they don't have things that are nicely calibrated there's a reason why like our athletes here like they they get annoyed by it i'm sure and there's some who love it you know but we do a day that is specifically called farm strong and what we do is we drag out, I, other than like a black flag warning, we're going to be outside. Um, or if it's like, you know, negative 10 or something crazy. But we're going to be outside with sandbags, trap bars, sleds, all of it. And it's meant to be the most inconvenient, biggest pain in the ass day we have. And it's relatively heavy. Because they're going to have to 
hey, you've got to take this Pelican box a mile out before you can actually set up camp. So it actually prepares them, even though they hate it. But um, that's that's one aspect of something we'll do as far as getting them acclimated to the environment and just using what they've got. Nice. I want to switch gears for a little bit and talk about injury prevention. That's one of the biggest things. You know, we kind of hit on it before, where you know, if you're if you're if you're redlining every day and you're missing the next two days, or you know, if you have a, a tweak or whatever, what what is your your advice for injury prevention? Is, is it building stuff into the workout, like a warm up or a cool down? Is it a specific regen strategy that you have? How do you prevent injury? And you know, follow on kind of like secondary question: How important is it for you to actually build durability into the program? Um, yeah, let me, let me do what every nerd does who goes, well, actually you can't prevent injury. Yes. Let's go <laughs> Thank ahead you. And, good. You know, I love ahead. being wrong. Yeah. You know, uh, no, but there, there is truly nothing we can absolutely do. So I'll just say that obviously, but we can, we can mitigate the, the risk as much as we possibly can. So in order to mitigate the risk, we're going to do things like, Hey, we're going to strengthen the hamstrings as much as possible. We're going to do plenty of torso development, low back work, glute work, stuff that's not the most exciting, stuff that doesn't receive the most attention. Um, We're going to do all that that's kind of built into the program. And that will also enhance the durability aspect as well. But then as far as um, what you can do uh, after that is going to be taking your recovery very seriously, hydrating appropriately, nutrition. And then the biggest thing is sleep. That's the only time where the body truly heals itself. That's where you have the biggest drops or excuse me, the biggest increases in uh, growth hormone. So that's where all the magic happens is when you're sleeping. So I would encourage people to get into good sleep hygiene. So doing things like zinc, magnesium, B6, like a ZMA supplement is going to be great. Um, melatonin, probably not so much uh, unless you absolutely need it. Um, and then in other prescriptions to help you sleep only as needed, prescribed by a doctor, whatever. But a lot of it's going to be uh, that we can do in the gym is going to be body tempering, uh, Normatex, various vibration stuff. Um, there's all sorts of things out there that people will swear up and down works. And I don't even bother arguing with people about whether I think it does or it doesn't. The most important thing in the world is the placebo effect. So if they believe that it works, it works. I'm not going to argue with a guy who's like, hey, man, I put this vibrating thing on my shoulder and my shoulder works better. All right, there's no research to support that, but if you swear it does, it does. So um, a lot of it just comes down to doing all this really small stuff. Like uh, we do a spring, something from Cal Dietz called the Spring Ankle Series. And that is a very specific positioning thing to reinforce durability of the ankle and calf Achilles complex. It's not the most exciting thing in the world. You get in very specific positions and you hold for 60 seconds. And then once you've earned that, okay, great. Now you move positions. And then once you get through bilaterally, now we move to a unilateral position and repeat. And it's if you were to walk in, you'd be like, what the hell are these guys doing? <laughs> what are these but, idiots doing? You know, I mean, there's stuff like that, like a lot of things, because I think, uh, well, one of you guys mentioned it earlier about you throw a ball in and nobody knows how to move. Right? <laughs> well, if you're only going up and down and you're doing push-ups, pull-ups, you're getting in a very specific plane of motion. And the architecture that's laid down from a physiological standpoint, because it's been exposed to that stress. Well, what are we talking about as far as like overuse issues? What if, how's that affecting the lines of pull, the angles of pull? How's that affecting the, the ligament and tendon? 
So that's why we rotate exercises the way we do is to expose the body to different lines and angles of pull and stressors. Yeah, totally makes sense. Um, man, I want to say thanks. I want to talk about dynamic human performance for a little bit. You, you also uh, can't get enough of fitness. So it's not only, you know, your primary, but it looks like your secondary life as well. So talk about uh, dynamic human performance and what you're doing with DHP. Yeah, man, I just don't have a life. I just, <laughs> that's all there's to it. Um, no, uh, DHP, dynamic human performance is just, uh, I work with a handful of folks in a one-on-one setting remotely. And then I have a uh, free newsletter, I have a paid newsletter uh, called Trim the Fat. It's just, hey, let's trim out all the unnecessary bullshit and just give you the most pertinent information you need to know that you can actually implement today. Um, and then I have a little podcast that, shit, I haven't updated it in like a year called Rep by Rep Strength. I need to do something with that. So I need to talk with you guys. Um, hey, but uh, we got you, boo-boo. Let's go. <laughs> finally, finally in an area. Like, we're not very fit, but I'll tell you what. We know how to podcast. Sort of. Sort of. But yeah, uh, so DHP, we, you know, we have the, the one-on-one coaching paid newsletter. And then I work with the local fire department, um, trying to get in with more fire departments, police stations, and just simply start by educating and then see where we go from there. Nice. So everybody go check Travis out over at dynamichp.net. That's where you can find the newsletter. You can find the rep by rep podcast. You should go listen to that. And maybe we'll go to him in to making some more podcasts. And maybe you have some other guests on there to talk about their experiences. But usually we end with advice. So, you know, Travis, you've seen a huge range of people from collegiate athletes to, you know, potential fire and, and police academy graduates to, you know, all the way up to the SEER specialists. And even inside of the SEER specialists, you see a huge range from 17-year-old females to 41-year-old dudes um, and everybody in between. So, you know, you've seen it. You've seen hundreds, maybe thousands of SEER candidates at this point. So what would you give them for advice for somebody out there that's listening, just starting their journey? Um, it doesn't have to be fitness related, but, you know, what, what advice would you give them in order to be successful going into the SEER specialist uh, community? Yeah, I would say it uh, starts with, um, man, I would just say being consistent, being humble. Uh, being a great listener is going to, you know, do tremendous things for you. Uh, genuinely, um, people can sense when you're being genuine when you're not. So, you know, if you want to get better at whatever it is you're doing, you should approach people who are smarter than you. People who've been there longer, done that. Stand on the shoulders of giants. Don't waste your time trying to figure everything out on your own. You know, reach out to people, ask for help. You know, leave your pride at the door. All that stuff um, that I'm sure everybody's heard. But uh, the matter of implementing it is challenging for some folks. But, um, you know, that's that's the biggest biggest pieces I've got that are non-fitness related. I think that'll just help as far as general life skills, you know. Yeah, outstanding. <laughs> Travis, thanks for coming on. Everybody go check Travis out uh, everywhere where he is. Go ahead and check out dynamichp.net to find out what he's doing in his off time, which is not his off time. Uh, because he's out there doing the fitness thing full time. We want to say thanks, everybody, for listening. Go check us out at onesready.com. Follow us anywhere that we are. Hit us with a DM if you got questions. And just, just caress that subscribe button. Maybe leave a little comment for the algorithm. You know the algorithm likes to eat, so just give it a little hey, how you, you doing? Even need comments. They're acceptable. Let, let us know. I'm totally good with it. But Travis, thanks for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I appreciate your time. All right. Everybody else out there, train hard. See you next time.